The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Welcome to Another Score. I'm your host for today's show, Don DeLorente. I'm joined by my broadcast partner, the That's So Jesse. Hey, Jesse. Hey, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's good to talk to you. Yeah, it's been a little bit. Yes, it has. Yes, it has. Life has been lifing so bad recently. It's like, ah. Yeah, adulting isn't what it's all cracked up to be. It really isn't. And yeah, I'm just doing my best out here. Trying to adult in the best way I can. (laughs) Well, keep doing your best. Glad to hear that. And we're going to let everyone know the score is brought to you by the CSPN. You can find us at www.cspn.us. You can also find us on uh, Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, and any other way that podcasts are subscribed, downloaded, and listened to on your devices. So, Justin, let's get into it. Of course, this is the year. It is the NBA, uh, what I like to call the 40 days and 40 nights of the test of your relationship. Because if you are in a relationship, playoff basketball can be very tumultuous if one of your partners is not into the NBA because the games are very good. Good and it's night after night after night after night. So we're going to start first. Uh, we're going to look at the Cavs. Uh, they're looking dominant. As some people say, they have flipped the switch into full playoff mode as they have taken a commanding 3-0 lead against the Indiana Pacers after an epic 26-point comeback. James and the bench squad, because Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love were spectators and cheerleaders mm-hmm. as this epic um, comeback was going on. Um Kind of synopsis of the series. Game one was really tight. Came down to a last-second shot that Paul George did not get. Very upset. Buzz in the press conference. Probably the not the best way to handle things as a leader. Uh, game two, um, kind of, you know, competitive to a point. But then, you know, the Cavs started to flex. LeBron, open court things. Kyrie making a lot of jumpers. And they kind of blew him out towards the end. And then, of course, game three here. Looks like Indiana's in full control. They're going to get a game, kind of extend the series out maybe make Cleveland work a little bit more than they want to, and then the bottom falls out. So, Jesse, here's what I want to pose to you, first of all. Mm-hmm. Is it possible that Cleveland has gotten better and they've actually flipped the switch, even though they're still giving up over 105 points a game? Or did Paul George's rant and his antics after the game, after game one, kind of take away and doom the confidence of his teammates? Okay, so a few things. One, I'm not convinced this whole flip the switch happened because I think LeBron just imposed his will upon the, the, the Pacers in order to make that 26 point comeback, allowing you know the Pacers to only score 40 points in the second half. As for Paul George, um, I think it's quite evident. I mean, we all know it's evident that he wants to be out of Indiana after the season. You know, going to you no know, talks about him going to Los Angeles Lakers because that's his his preferred destination. So I think him. Going to the press conference saying, oh, I should have passed you the ball, or I should have taken that shot, or I shouldn't have passed, you know, I forget the dude's name, the ball. It's, yeah, you're right. It's not a good look. It's really distracting upon the players, a lot of whom I'll be like, yo, who's this guy? Why? I mean, sure, he's a star player, but we all know what's going on under the scenes. And so it's, I mean, not under, but behind the scenes. So it's just, it, it can be demoralizing. I get it. Because, you know, you hear all this stuff after the press conference. You're like, oh, so your man said this. How do you respond? And just, it's not the best, you know, team. It's not the best for the team who's now down four, like three nothing, and they have to figure out a way to either not get swept for nothing or try to attempt a gentleman sweep 
for a four one you know series. So, uh, right. Um, th- uh, technically, from a basketball standpoint, it was a good play. Paul George got double teamed. He passed the ball. Um, I think his name is Miles Brand. I think is his name. He uh, pump faked. Richard Jefferson went for the pump fake and he yep. stepped in and he had an open shot. He just shot short. Yep. And yep. Paul George still had two guys on him, like 27 feet away from the basket. So yep. I really don't understand why he was in such a. Such a huff about it. Right. right? Yeah. Right. It's just, I didn't get it either. Cause I saw that last night. Right. I'm like, huh? Why are like, sometimes you just miss those. It happens. Right. It's basketball. It's, you know, either you miss something, you, you get it, you miss. And he, he had, you no, know, it, it was the correct basketball play to do. Right. So him like being like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Eh, no, it's yeah. I was yeah. listening and like, I'm the leader. I'm the leader. But like, if you're going to be the leader in that way, you gotta show that you're leading, not just like throw blame on you know throw people under the bus and blame people when things don't go the way you think they should go. Exactly. So we gotta move on to the Wizards and the Hawks. Uh, the Wizards look kind of shaky in their first. Their first game, uh, they used a big run in the third quarter to kind of get control, and they kind of held on to win the first game. And kind of the same scenario in the second game. They started out a little bit better in the second game, but still they had to hold on at the end to get the first two games at home. And then yesterday, uh, just a total failure in defense. Um, Atlanta had a like, six time. Atlanta uh, had a 20-point lead at halftime. Uh, they really got blown out. Uh, the Wizards did have one highlight play, though. John Wall around the world behind the back dunk on a fast break was pretty spectacular yesterday. So what are your thoughts? I know uh, in the area that you live, people are Wizards crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like this but... is a team that is building and going up. So, mm-hmm. um, First of all, where was Brad Be- Bradley Beal yesterday? Yeah, he has a tendency to go MIA for long stretches. I don't think he takes enough layups sometimes to kind of get himself in the game. He relies on his jumper too much. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I was just, you know, I kind of saw that that start. It's like at, at first they weren't, nothing was getting going for them. And, you know, break after break after break after break. I'm just like, oh, this is not going to turn out good, is it? And then, you know, you have all the stuff from Paul Millsap and Schroeder during the series of, oh, they play MMA, we play basketball, and, you know, John Wall asking, what's his face? What the fuck's wrong with you, boy? <laughs> it's going to get you happy. It's, it's fun, but there's a reason why this isn't really stays on either TNT or on NBA TV. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I mean, sure, they're big, mar- they're big market teams, but no one's like, oh, okay, if whoever wins, it doesn't really matter. But I mean, it matters, but since it's a 4 or 5, it's like, eh, mm-hmm. flip a coin, take one, we'll take them in the other round. Uh, yeah, I think I think more people are are starting to get intrigued with the Wizards though. Just yeah. John, just John Wall because he's starting to kind of put things together. He's understanding how to play at different speeds, and his jump shot is really improved from a couple of seasons ago. The last time they were in the playoffs, and he got injured, so it kind of seems like maybe he's getting a chance to redeem himself. And it's against Atlanta, the team that he got injured against, so it kind of seems like he's getting a redo and getting a chance to show everybody again, you know, how far he's come. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Um, and I know like, I love was like, ah, Atlanta's there just because, you know, we have Dwight Howard, who we used to check for, who will pretty much be a Hall of Fame. He'll be a Hall of Famer one of these days, but do we really care about the players on the Atlanta Hawks other than half caring about Dwight Howard? I mean, Atlanta's been the same team for like 25 years. They've been good enough to make the playoffs, but not bad enough to get somebody good enough to become more than just a four or five seed. 
I mean, they had yeah. that one year where they were the number one seed and they got smoked by Cleveland smoked. in the, yep. in the yep. conference yep. final. So, you know, they're, they're the same MO in my estimation as far as like as long as I've been watching basketball. I mean, they're a competitive team, but they're not a threat to contend or win the championship. Right. Yep. Same. I think that's what the general consensus is. So, therefore, we treat them accordingly. Right. right. Yeah. So we're going to move on to the Toronto Raptors and the Milwaukee Bucks. This series the is other NBA t- TV team of the M- NBA playoffs. <laughs> and, and that is a shame because, man, I love watching Giannis play. He, he's the player that I wanted to watch the most throughout these whole playoffs. And they've played four games and three of them I've had to work. Uh, so I've only got to see him play the one game, and that was in game two, where unfortunately uh, Toronto actually came back and, uh, and got the win as uh, – Milwaukee surprisingly stole the first game in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Uh, Giannis had a big effort, a um, couple of highlight dunks. In the second game, Kyle Lowry finally found his shot uh, at the end of the game to uh, hit a big three to kind of ice the game. Uh, game three, total blowout by Milwaukee at home. I mean, they just blew their doors off. Um, everybody from Milwaukee was having a great game. And oh, then, yeah. then yesterday, uh, the real DeMar DeRozan showed up. Um, he had been in a huge slump for the end of the season and into these playoffs. But yesterday, he had a DeMar DeRozan-like game, filled up stat sheet, 33 points. I think he had, like, nine rebounds, like, five assists. So he played very well, and uh, Toronto got the victory, and now they've evened things up. So this has been a very competitive series. I think it's going to come down to uh, the coaching can mm-hmm. you know, is Jason Kidd a better X and O guy than Dwayne Casey? And that's even in itself is a hard question. So <laughs> Right, right. And I think that Giannis is the best player on both teams. But did you see him? No, question. Did you see him like block a shot with his elbow? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. That was like oh how how slay how? Yes. He's <laughs> he's a I don't know, man. He's like a um He's a Swiss Army knife because he he can play every position. Mm-hmm. You know, like you know, I see him. He's everywhere. Yeah, he's everywhere. I mean, on some plays he's their point guard. On some plays he's their shooting guard. On some plays he's their small forward. Uh, their center sometimes, depending on how you match up. It's crazy just to watch him be able to come into his own and be a player that nobody knew about and couldn't pronounce his name and thought it was going to be a total joke. And he's got Milwaukee on the cusp. If um, Javari Parker could complete a season or two now, they could really be a threat because Ogden's really good. Um, you know, so, I mean, they've got kind of a little nice little nucleus of young players going forward here. Yeah. Um, I kind of want Milwaukee to take this just because, I don't know, they're just a really interesting team to me. Um, right. Morgianis is better for the playoffs. That too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because – I mean, imagine a whole other series. In, like, who would the Raptors play? In the, imagine a whole other series with the Raptors. How much don't care, just in general, from the American? I mean, it's unfortunate because we, you know, they're Canadian. They're the only Canadian team in the NBA, but we don't really watch the the Raptors. So, right, just get a team that I'm like, I want to see more Giannis. I want to see yeah. more Giannis. Yes, I want to see. <laughs> however way it slices, I just want to see. Giannis versus LeBron. I just want to see that matchup, see those two guys go against Oh, my God. For a series of games, not just a one night here, and then we'll see it again in two months. I like to see it for four or five nights in a row. That would be phenomenal. All right, we're going to go into Yeah, that would be. Mm-hmm. Yes, our last series, the Celtics. Uh, they're going to try to avoid going down three to one 
to the surprising Chicago Bulls. Um, it's mm-hmm. kind of a tumultuous uh, weekend for the Celtics week, rather, as uh, Isaiah Thomas last Saturday found out right after practice that his little sister was killed in an automobile accident. There's a lot of national hubbub about should he play? Is he going to play? Is it right that we expect him to play? Um, of course, he did, you know, play uh, through a lot of emotion. Uh, Boston, unfortunately, came up short in that game. And they came up short in the next game at home as well. Um, Rondo has just been amazing. Uh, just throwing it in the face of all the Boston fans and the front office of Boston. But unfortunately, um, in the game two, he uh, hurt his thumb and found out he's got a broken thumb. So now he's out for the remainder of this series. And when the scene shifted to Chicago without Rondo in the lineup with uh, Michael Carter-Williams starting at point guard, the Celtics found their mojo and got a road victory. So the series is now 2-1. to one. So, Jesse, kind of uh, what were your thoughts about the Isaiah Thomas hubbub and kind of the quote-unquote controversy about him playing? I mean, I your thoughts really- on it? Yeah, so I can't really tell a guy how to mourn his sister. You know, some people are like, I want to get away from it. Some people, you know, the whole, sure, it was like, I could sit there and empathize, you know, crying at half court, crying on the sides. Like, I empathize for him, but I felt that whatever decision he felt he had to make in order to, you know, res- no, I just, mm-hmm. I just respect his decision of just, I, I, I always feel like I want to play. And I, I've never been in that situation. I personally would have been like, no, I'm sitting down somewhere. I'm going to go back home. I'm going to, so I'm not going to be the one to say, oh, he should have you know, played or he shouldn't have played. I mean, obviously he was not, well, well it seemed like there was a deep connection with his sister and if playing helped him to kind of grieve, that's cool. If, you know, if he, if he had sat the, if he had sat that first game, I would have been like, I understand. So I can't really be the judge of, oh, he should have sat, but I don't really think anyone should. I think I know. I know what I would do, but I would never. I wouldn't oppose what another person should do when that circumstance happens. Mm-hmm. But may peace be with his family at this really difficult time because twenty-two, just damn. Yeah. Damn, damn, damn. Yeah. And as for the Bulls, um, they just decided to troll us this series. It's like, oh, hey, we're going to be. No, they were awful this year. I don't understand why they're just like. Oh, hey, look what we can do in the playoffs. I mean, with Ron John, Rondo, Rondo, his thumb, it kind of does change, you know. I mean, Ron, Ray John was a good – he was one of the pieces that helped, you know, bring this together for the Bulls, but I don't really know how this is going to happen now that Ray John's thumb is – he's out for the playoffs, so. Yeah, this is a very interesting series because the number one seed is definitely on the ropes. At least they were for the first two games. Um so we'll see if if uh, Michael Carter Williams can kind of just stabilize. It doesn't have to be great. He just needs to you know not turn the ball over, and he was doing that a lot uh, the other night. So um, before we move on to the Western Conference at this time, we'd like to introduce the man hailing from the city of Atlanta, where it's always a good time in the city. It's none other than Mister Nabias Wilborn. Nabias, what's up, man? Man, nothing much, man. What's going on, brother? Um, I'm good, man. Yeah, definitely having those long. Long weeks, man. But anyway, we're out here. So hope everybody's doing well. Yeah, man, we are. We are. Uh, let everybody know what you've been up to, man, in the meantime and in between times. since the last time everybody got a chance to talk to you. You've had some, you know, new gigs and new things uh, happen for you. Oh, geez. Where do I start? Um, so I'm doing the brace for local paper here at Marriott Daily Journal and then still covering NBA for Sporting News and doing, you know, weekly TV on 
WGCL Channel 46 CBS Atlanta here. So, yeah, I've added a few things on and hopefully trying to pick up a couple more and trying to balance this crazy thing out in this interesting business, uh, sports journalism. Yeah, hard work in the bias Wilborn, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, man, you know, somebody's got to do it, right? <laughs> <laughs> Glad you could make a little time for us at another score, man. We're going to jump into this Western Conference right quick. We got Warriors after a nice second half comeback last night, down 16, third quarter. Came back despite injuries from uh, Kevin Durant missing his second game in a row. Illness from Steve Kerr, not able to coach the game at all last night. Mike Brown took over. And uh, if uh, Damian Lillard's prediction of the Blazers in six is going to come true, they're going to need to basically pull off a sweep here uh, because, uh, well, actually they can't because they're down three to nothing. So uh, they're going to have to take it in seven if they can win four straight. And that is very highly unlikely. (laughs) Look, they they look uh, for. Two and a half quarters, the Blazers looked like a really good team. They were moving the ball. You know, Damian Lillard was doing his thing, and then all of a sudden, they did. I think they blew their wide, and then you know, the Warriors warriored. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I really, I mean, look, you could get into numbers, you get into breakdowns, but bottom line is, you know, one, there's a reason, generally speaking, other than the the Western Con- the Eastern Conference series that we just touched. Why a one seed is a one seed, an eight seed is eight seed. I mean, look. Mm-hmm. We know what Dame is. That guy is special. And, you know, CJ McCollum is a really good player. But, I mean, when you don't have Nurkic, who had really kind of bolstered this team going into the playoffs, I mean, what, 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 do, what do they really have? Um, I just think they aren't ready to be a consistent playoff team, and especially against a team as good as Golden State Warriors. And the thing with Golden State is, right, like, I, I, I think I miss when you guys talk about like the Cavs series, some of these other series, right? It is a thing of where when a team like that is so good, no lead feels safe. Like you don't feel, and I don't know about you guys, but like when I watched the the Pacers Cavs game, whenever I was calling the game over, and I was like, man, look, they still got LeBron, and yeah. we're going to state. It's like they still got Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, and and Chris Durant didn't even playing the game, right? I mean, so you look at that. And it just makes you marvel at how great Golden State is and how great they can be. And in theory, you look at the contracts, they keep the thing going for another year or two, right? So, yeah. Portland isn't ready yet. It was a cute story. Like I said, Dame Little can play. I I, I wanted them to get game three because they were going to get one. It was going to be that first game at home. Mm-hmm. In the Rose Garden, where their fans are insane and loud, and that's why I thought they were going to get a game, and they didn't. So yeah, that series is over, brother. All right, Jesse, kind of and jump in right quick. Yeah, I agree with what Nubia said, and just that you know you have CJ McCollum, you have Damian Lillard, and then Nurkic, and you know, a bunch of other dudes. So it was it's a great story. It's fun to watch. I mean, it's fun to see Damian Lillard, you no know, McCollum, and Lillard play, but. It's the Warriors. It's like it's an ultimate day for the versus Goliath. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it was fun. I watched. I started the game after the Spurs Grizzlies game was on, and I'm like, oh, this is cool. But I'm gonna wait for the third quarter because I know this won't stick. Right. And it didn't stick. And no, now they're down. What three nothing? They're gonna beat the series. Another game in Portland, and I don't really see how they're gonna overcome this. Mm-hmm. That seems to be the Warriors' mo is that they're the the third quarter. Uh, towards about the seven and a half minute mark, kind of when Steph checks in in that third quarter, man, they kind of get 
their thing on, man. They they get it going and they crank up their their defense. And uh, kind of in the second quarter last night, I was like, well, Steph and Clay, one of them's gonna have to show up because it looked like Dame Lillard was gonna go for one of those, you know, thirty was gonna be easy and forty five was gonna be about where it's gonna stop. But they, you know, got the defense going and Clay showed up in the third quarter and Steph showed up in the fourth and Dita Guadala and Draymond Green doing their roles and they held it out and had a nice comeback. So, yeah, their phenomenon isn't nagging. It's just a precaution. Uh, they feel like, you know, they've got the series under control that they can keep them out this series and get them all the way healthy for later down the line. So next up, we'll get to a series that's a little bit more competitive. Rusty versus the Houston Rockets, uh, two to one. Uh, Rockets, um, you know, game one, total Rocket domination. Game two, Rusty did a world, should have got a win. Rockets came back, fourth quarter, James Harden, those guys making threes. Game three shifts over to Oklahoma City. Um, Rusty does all he can again, and his boys help him out just enough to hold on. And uh, so now the series is at two to one. Another game in Oklahoma City coming up. So Russ is trying to equal the series at two. Um, this is a game that I thought is basically a series that's on the GM of the Thunder. How do you put together a team that doesn't have anybody who can shoot? And the one guy who maybe can shoot, Doug McDermott, your coach won't play enough to make an impact. I just hmm. it. I mean, Doug McDermott can't guard nobody. Right. Play. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean sometimes, though, sometimes for the sake of it, the way that it's, it's working out, Though just to give and not, nah, but in 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 that uh, series playing against playing against the Rockets, too. I mean, they can go five out, right? They can right. have five guys who can shoot it. You, you, Dougie got to be able to guard somebody. He can't guard <laughs> nobody. I mean, you know, look, he's a good dude. I like him, but he can't guard nobody. Um, the Thunder just are what they are. At least for this year, we will see what happens. You got look. You got to remember when they were rolling. I mean, they had one of the three year best two three year draft runs in NBA history. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you look at drafting Kevin Durant, drafting Russell Westbrook, drafting James Harden, drafting Sergi Baca, you know, picking up a double cephalosis. I mean, you look at getting able to get the guys they had. I mean, that was just great drafting. I mean, so I don't know if their college scouting is just like years at least was, like years above everybody, because since they brought in those guys, who they drafted since? Right, Stephen Adams and Cantor maybe. Cantor looks like he may be. I mean, Cantor can, uh, can play. Cantor can play when he's healthy, you know. But that's that's a whole other issue. They haven't so, had a, they haven't had another wing player though, or a backup point guard, and that seems to be the two spots where they're lacking the most. I mean, because it seems like okay, see, it, whatever they do, they have to do it through the draft. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I just don't see free agents clamoring to live in OKC, and I definitely don't see them clamoring to play with Russell Westbrook. I mean, not if right. you're not if you're like a star player who also wants some touches. I just don't see that happening. I mean, and I like Russ. I think he's a really good player. I think he's really smart. Um, when he wants to be, he can be rather engaging, but <laughs> you know, um, yeah. I, I, I don't know how it gets much better for them because again, whatever they don't do is going to be through the draft. Right. Right. And it's just at least from what I can see, from what I can tell, and it's just amazing how you look at a Sam Presti, who at one point, you know, was the genius of the league, and now mm-hmm. you start to have to ask questions about him. You know, who looks a little bit better now that he finally got the coach that he always wanted, Daryl Morey. Oh. Mm-hmm. Daryl Morey and Mister Analytics, Mister, you know, shoot a lot of threes and dunk a lot. 
Well, I mean, we, we will see if that gets them, you know, this kind of success they want. I mean, and because, you know, the question is always, you know, the old school thinking is, well, it slows down in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But but does it? But I mean, I, I, I think that's something we always say, right? But mm-hmm. in this day and era of the NBA, does it? I don't know. We will find out. I think that Houston has a good chance to make some noise in the West. I don't think they're coming out of the West because I'm pretty sure Golden State's coming out. So at some point, Houston's going to lose. But, I mean, why can't Houston make it to the conference finals? Yeah, yeah. Because um, they're, I mean, they're in that 3-6, right? So that they, they, would, they, they wouldn't play Golden State in the next round. So, I mean. At least for the finals, yeah. Yeah. I'm saying, so you look at a Houston Rockets team, you know, if they were to make the conference finals this year, you look at that, a two- or three-year run would have made the conference finals, you know? Mm-hmm. Come on, yes. but, but you have to uh, throw in there. Wait, what was that? I was just asking, what were your thoughts on it? What were you going to say? I mean, it's a lot of offense, which is great and fun for my viewing experience. But I don't know. I mean, I see I, we all know why Russell Russell's not like Russell's going to do what he wants. I mean, it's great because two of the best, like two top MVP candidates in Harden and in Westbrook. But I don't see Oklahoma City, you know, coming out with this straight up. So, yeah. So we'll move on to the Clippers. They you, they lead the Utah Jazz two to one. Uh, this series has been marred by injuries, as the Stifle Tower was injured on the very first play of the series, and that turned out to be a Utah win. Very gutsy, old man um, Johnson. Um, I can't even think of his name right now. It just blanked on me. Um, he used to play with Atlanta. What's his name? Uh, Nobias. Joe Johnson. Yeah. yeah. Oh. His the, his the game. Show Joe. Game winner. <laughs> for the win, and they stunned the Clippers in game one. Uh, game two, uh, Clippers come back, get the you know series tied up, move the series to Utah game three. Uh, Utah starts out on fire. Gordon Haywood, 21 points in the first quarter, uh, but the Clippers hang around. Blake Griffin gets injured, has to leave the game, and Chris Paul steps up, 34 points, and they uh, steal the game three in Utah. They lead the series two to one. So, Jess, I wanted you to jump in first. Um the Clippers look like they've kind of found something. I don't know if it's just the effects of uh, Gobert not being there for Utah to anchor their defense, and they're having to kind of work some lineups that they haven't really gone to all season. So, um, and now with the Blake Griffin injury, uh, we don't know. There's been an update on uh, how severe it is yet. Oh, he's, he's out for the playoffs. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh. Yep. Yep. Again, another playoff year missed by Blake Griffin. Yep. Oh, uh, gosh. What is this series? Um, a lot of injuries. I don't even know. I mean, I think the Clippers are going to eventually pull this off. Um, you know, I, 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 sometimes this game gets lost for me because because the Utah Jazz games get played in the mountain time zone, which is kind of a, a sink to the games. But, you know, we're going to see what Chris Paul does. And he's, I think, yeah, I think this game is going to have to be on Chris Paul's shoulders and you know, the Clippers come out and then they're going to lose in the second round. And then we're going to talk about the Clippers having to blow this up, which I think they will have to do this season. And inevitably the Clippers will clip. <laughs> Not in this round. Not in this round, but it's coming. Well, I, mean, look, I mean, I mean, look, man, I mean, here's what it boils down to, right? I mean, I think if Utah was healthy, I mean, you, when you when you take out a guy, Rudy Gobert, who I think is one of, oddly enough, along with Gordon Hayward, Giannis uh, Atacampo, and Tim Hardaway Jr. is one of the most improved players in this league. I mean, Rudy Gobert has played at a, if not all-star level, right at all-star level. I mean, he's definitely, 
I would consider him one of the top bigs in the NBA. So you lose him. It, it makes it tough. I mean, Gordon Hayward has been a bad, bad man. That guy can shoot. He's got a little streak to his game. And this guy who didn't, this guy who didn't even average 20 points a game in high school. And he has just continued to develop and develop and develop and get better. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if Utah finds a way to win this series. And as far as it goes with the Clippers, I mean, geez, you know, let's go back a little bit with the Clippers, right? And I'm trying to make this quick. You know, we all know what the Clippers were in the 70s and 80s and 90s. It's just one of the worst franchises in sports. I mean, I even think Sports Illustrated called them the worst franchise of all the sports at one point. I mean, it was bad under Donald Sterling. Of course, now we start to find out a lot more about Mr. Sterling, of course, and him being an unrepentant racist and homophobic and sexist and everything else that comes with it. And then we finally got him up out of there, right? Um, I can't think of a franchise that has been more snake bit than the Clippers. When you look at last year, you know, you lose Blake Griffin and Chris Paul within days of each other. Then they come back this season, get off to this incredibly hot start, and then Blake goes out again. And then he comes back, and then Chris Paul goes out, and then Blake goes, you know, it, it's just been a thing, and I don't know what fixes it. I don't, and, and I'm not a person, I don't believe in curses, but there is something going on with the Clippers because it seems like every time you think they're going to get it together, they aren't. I, I guess I remember when they got to the hot start and, you know, scouts around the league were like, all right, that's cool. That's cool. But I believe it when I see it. I'm like, yo, but look at the way they're playing. They're like, no. Um, and scouts don't normally talk like that. Scouts are normally like, hey, this is what I'm seeing. Based upon what I'm seeing, this is what this team is. Mm-hmm. But with the Clippers, it was like, mm, the other shoe is going to drop. And, you know, it, it's unfortunate. Because I genuinely don't like that kind of talking sports. I think a lot of it's BS and unrealistic. But in this rare instance, I think this is a thing of where the other shoe is always going to drop. And it will be a very interesting offseason in LA. Right. It will be very interesting because there are so many things that can happen. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I agree. And well, by the way, by the way, we, we talked about blowing it up. And, I, and that's something that gets said all the time. But how often, and when, and when has blowing it up ever worked? I mean, it's not it's not in the short term, but the long term, yeah. No, uh, absolutely. When does it work? Give me give me mm-hmm. an example of when it's worked. Right now with the Wizards, after you know Gilbert showing off a gun in the locker room, and now look where we at with the Wizards. How long did that take? It's gonna take a while. That's what blowing it up is. It's like okay, we're not gonna see success in the next four or five seasons. But it wasn't four or five. It was like ten. It was like ten, yeah. fifteen years. Like I mean, really, like go go back and look at it. Like I'm. Senior, yeah, but it's like you. It's not like okay, we're not going to see success with this team. We've reached our limit. Now we got a plan for the next. You know. I, I I think basketball is built to tank because of the way the draft is set up. Not necessarily quote unquote blow it up. I think blow it up is more like a football thing where you just get in a whole new coach, whole new philosophy, whole new players, whole new mindset, and then that can kind of work in like two or three years. Basketball blowing it up, yeah, you're gonna be like the Nets where right. You're just or not going to have any good players. I mean, right. in, in, in basketball, particularly NBA basketball, it's a, it's a players league. It is a star league. And it all, it, the NBA is not a parody league. There's a reason why very few teams win. And what I have come to learn is it is not so much like you, like you look at the Patriots in the NFL, right? They win because they just do it right. It's, it's not that they're doing anything that's like that much smarter than anybody else. They just make the right decisions all the time. They don't, you know, bend to the whims of fans. They don't cater to egos. They just make the right decision. They just have 
smart people. A lot of these teams are run by not so bright people. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> and that's what happens. It is very hard to win in this league or any league, particularly the NBA. Right. Yeah. I guess, but do you see the Clippers going any further, like taking that, you know, quote unquote, the next step with Blake Griffin, Chris Paul, and DeAndre, DeAndre Jordan? How far do you see them you know, going after this? I mean, I, I don't know because I've never seen them healthy. I don't know. I, I've never seen them healthy in a playoff series. It may be. You know, with another like wing shooter around. I mean, I, JJ Reddick's a really good shooter, and Jamal Crawford has done really well. I I don't know the answer. I don't think anybody knows the answer to that sure. because I mean, you look now, they ain't healthy again. So we don't know. Nobody knows. And that's what it. That's what it, look. I mean, I get it, and they probably are gonna blow it up. I just don't. I just don't think that it is a viable strategy. And of course, it depends on what you're doing. I mean, you gotta remember, Steve Ballmer just bought this team, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, if you blow it up, you're going to suck. And, you know, well, they're, Clippers. they're used to that. No, they're not. That's what I'm saying. Like, no, they're not. Because you look at the last, what, five, six, seven years, really 10 years. The, the Chris Paul era, right. Yeah. I mean, they it's have been, been in the topic they, of conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've been a consistent playoff team. And plus, okay, right. If you suck, it's LA. Nobody's going to go to them damn games. You can't. And I think that's another thing. Like, you can't have a situation where, you know, fine, you blow it up, you're the Philadelphia 76ers. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what you are. I mean, okay, Milwaukee, I guess they blew it up a while back, and they're just now starting to kind of be good. I mean, it, it there's just so many variables in the NBA. You know, you don't know. But, the, and there's, but there's also, too, you look at it, San Antonio Spurs, they lose Tim Duncan, and, and they're still rolling. Right. And why? Yeah, why? Because they have a system in place. Uh, they came out like gangbusters uh, in Memphis. Uh, David Tisdale would say thanks to the referees, they were able to steal a couple of games in San Antonio. Then the scene shifted back to Memphis. First game, Memphis uh, put the boots to him, uh, totally blew San Antonio out, made Tony Parker look really old in uh, that game three. And then last night, uh, we had a a classic um, back and forth. The last uh, three and a half minutes of the fourth quarter and then overtime was just a heavyweight fight. Kawhi Leonard and Mike Conley basically going basket for basket. Uh, Kawhi Leonard with a stretch of like 16 straight points in uh, the last three minutes of the fourth quarter to get it into overtime. Um, and then, of course, uh, the game-winning shot by Mark Gasol um, as they beat the Spurs to tie the series at two. So a bunch of things that are going on in this series. Um, we'll start with that epic rant by David Tisdale um, with the free throw disparity. Um you know, he basically stood up for himself and, and his team by saying, hey, we know that we're the underdogs. I know I'm a rookie coach. I know I don't have any, quote, unquote, get the call players, but y'all ain't going to do that to us. I may be a rookie, but you ain't going to rook us. And, you know, hit the podium and stood up and said, take that for data. Since, you know, the Memphis Grizzlies are another team who's really heavy into the analytics game and this NBA. Um, Nabias, how, how did that go around in the NBA circles the next day or, or as it was happening and people were catching up? Uh-huh. People, I mean, because it is what it is. I mean, we know what he's doing. We know that's the game and shit. We know that's how it goes, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, has earned a certain amount of respect, and nobody is disrespecting that. But, I mean, there there was a very disparity within the free throws. I mean, he labeled it out. I mean, you know, I guess as the uh, kids say, he had receipts, right? <laughs> the statistics. Mm-hmm. He had all the information to show that, hey, you know, something is amiss here. Now, do I think that the officials were intentionally – no, they weren't. I mean, that's not how things work. I mean, 
They weren't intentionally, but I, I, I do think sometimes some refs, I can't remember who the referees were for that series or for that game. Look, so forgive me for not knowing this. Um, it is really tough because it, I'm trying to say this carefully because I don't want to come off by because I'm because I'm not a conspiracy theorist guy when it comes to sports. I, I believe most things happen because they're happened. Um, but that being said, yeah, it it did look bad. It did look questionable, and you know, good on him for calling out. I think that people around the league, these people I've talked to, and you know, kind of text a little bit or like, hey man, good for him. Definitely had an impact on the team. I think they gave everything they had in that game. I don't think it's going to be good enough to win the series. I, I think, look, they had a game at home where you know that crowd was going to be incensed, and they were there, and they got some, you know, otherworldly performances, and I don't think that's going to last. But for a game, for a night, they went toe-to-toe one of the best teams in the league. As a team that itself is, you know, you look at Zebo, you look at Tony Allen, I mean, you know, it's an older team, man. Yeah. Yeah, and they play a style that's um that's they play a style though that I think San Antonio and them kind of are kind of built for each other because they still mm-hmm. kind of play that dump it down, you know, stand around, post up, see what's going to happen, make our moves type of basketball. Mm-hmm. So I thought that this would really be a good matchup, um, just because yeah, I mean, the, styles, it, the styles would. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean it's a fun series. I mean if you're covering if you're covering that series, you're probably like. You're probably not too happy with the travel options. No offense to the city of Memphis, no offense to the city of San Antonio, but it's not, let's say, Toronto or D.C. or L.A. or Atlanta, you know. (laughs) The food might be better, though. Yeah, look, man, there's only so much ribs and Mexican food you can eat. But, I mean, (laughs) I'm just saying, look, but but, but here's the reality. I mean, Kawhi Leonard is one of the best four or five players in the league. Tony Parker's still pretty damn good when he wants to be. And Popovich is still – just one of the great coaches in sports of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yep. I don't think we give him even close enough credit for how just damn good of a coach he is. I mean, he's a special coach. He really is. And the fact that we don't celebrate him more is crazy. That being said, they win this series by a good on, good on coach Fizz. Shout out to him, man. Um, when I first started covering the league, he was an assistant coach in Atlanta before he went to, Miami, and he's always been good to me. And, you know, he's, he, I, I think that he has a bright future as a head coach. He has worked his way up. I mean, he's been under some really good coaches and gotten good toolage, and he's earned his shot. And I think he's doing pretty well with it, man. So good for him, man. All right. Uh, Jesse, uh, tell everybody what you called uh, Kawhi before we, we came on air today. Uh, he's not a robot. He's an android because robots, you know, android is it's like human-like features, but, you know, without the breathing or the you know, boiling, you know, crumbling under pressure. So he's an android. He's not a robot. And I know the whole, my whole thing is with, you know, the coach, it's a great, it's, I understand why Fizdale, you know, said what he said, take that for data, data, even though I'm a fan of data, but whatever, that's a whole <laughs> other rant for another day. But, um, you know, he had a, you have to get your fan, that's more getting your, your fan base excited and, you know, knowing that your coach is all in with the series. So we got to, you know, play with that intensity as our coach, you know, came out to the, the intensity of our coach coming out to defend us. Um, but yeah, coach, uh, for that game yesterday, which I did watch from start to finish, actually, because it was just so great with Mike Conley versus, you know, Mike Conley matching Kawhi Leonard's, you know, basket for basket. You know, he was, what's his name? Kawhi was perfect at the free throw, free throw line for pretty much all the game, the entire game. So 
it's a, it's been a fun one, you know. I mean, people looking at a lot of people are looking at games like, oh, I'm gonna take a nap during this. I'm like, no, not anymore. We're not. So. Yeah, yeah. I think people like nobody said if you don't have Kawhi Leonard in your top five um, players in the league coming into the season after these playoffs, I think you will because he's taken like two steps. I think from where he was even last year and last year. So um, shout out to like nobody's was saying just the Spurs coaching staff in general uh, from just the development side of players. Um, a guy like Patty Mills who makes a fantastic just heads up heads up play gets stripped at half court. Looks like it's going to be a, a steal over and back, and he swats the ball to a teammate falling down to keep a possession alive where they could, you know, get within two points and eventually, you know, send the game into overtime. So, you know, the Spurs are incredible. Like Nabas was also saying, Coach Pop, so adaptable, um, can take what he has and, and, and mold it into what it needs to be. Um, he went from playing the beautiful style of basketball that beat LeBron and the Heat, and now – He's kind of gone back to kind of old school look with LaMarcus Aldridge and, and Kawhi kind of dominating the ball and guys playing off of them. So, yeah, shout out to the Spurs and just their tradition and their culture of just being smart and making good decisions, like the boss was saying. Sometimes it's not the best players. It's the best decision makers in the offices that get these championships won. Now, you can always be a winner and a champion is by listening to another score here on CSPN.us and by supporting our sponsors. Go to CSPN.us, click on the menu tab, scroll down to support our sponsors and support our show through Amazon. Go shopping for a Mother's Day gift. It's coming up soon, fellas. Don't get caught out here, you know, without something for moms. There's everything in the world that's a special woman in your life. So make sure that you support the podcast. Go through CSPN.us. Go on to Amazon.com. Pick out a nice gift for your mom on Mother's Day and also support our podcast. So now we're going to move on to some off-court NBA topic and that would be as the Carmelo turns, as this week um, Phil Jackson came out with his State of the Knicks address. And, of course, the number one topic on everybody's mind, the question was, what are you going to do with Carmelo Anthony? And Phil Jackson finally came out and said that he feels that it would be better for Carmelo to pursue his championship goals, dreams, and aspirations on another team. So, Jesse, kind of what's your thoughts or fallout from what, Bill had to say, and it looks like Carmelo is kind of digging in even more because of this no trade clause. And he has every right to dig in because he has no trade clause. So I don't really understand, you know, Paul Phil Jackson coming out and be like, he'd be better somewhere else. I'm like, okay, you can't really do anything about it. So what's the point of even saying that? Um, I don't know. The Knicks are a mess. But <laughs> when are the Knicks, Knicks nicking, knickerbocking all season, you know, with Chris Stops not showing up to his exit interview? It's just. I'm exhausted, but that, that, that just looks so exhausting supporting them. Oh, my. And I don't. So if you do, good luck. Yeah, it's just continuing a, a, like a 20-year downward spiral. Um, they just seem to do a lot of things that don't match up. You have a coach in Jeff Hornacek who would much rather get out, run, shoot threes, kind of play the modern style of basketball. But you have a GM who's insistent on running, you know, the offense that made him famous. So there's a clash. You have, you know, players that don't seem to really match with, you know, Carmelo and Derrick Rose, two guys that really need the basketball in their hands to be effective. You've got a bright spot in Porzingis, but is all this, you know, chaos and calamity around him going to ruin him and eventually turn him off to your franchise? And he's going to be on the first thing smoking when his four years are up. So kind of, Nabias, these dark days for the Knicks, how can they get out of it? I mean, it seems like we still keep going through this period where they get a new GM or they get a, high price free agent or make a trade and we think okay the Knicks are going 
you know, get back in the mix, but they, they never seem to. Yeah, that's why blowing things up don't work. <laughs> that's what I was saying earlier. That's why it don't work, man. I mean, look at the Dicks. The Dicks are a prime example of why you got to find something that you do that works. It's like, it's like, it's like free throw shooting, right? Like, there was a time when Tim Duncan was a terrible free throw shooter. One day he got, one day he sat down with a free throw coach or, and was like, okay, what do I do? He's like, find one thing that works and stick with it, even when it doesn't work. And he did that, and he went from being like a 60% free throw shooter to being a near 84% free throw shooter by the end of his career because he found one thing that worked, and he didn't change it. Like when a guy missed a free throw, right, he'll he'll shoot it. Like if he misses it to the left, he's going to try harder to shoot it to his right. So now he's missed two. So then the next time he gets fouled, he's going to then try to, you know what I'm saying? What's the word? Um, compensate. Yeah, overcompensate. He's going to overcompensate to the other way. Then he's going to miss the third one. Then he may hit the fourth one, but then he's going to, you know, so it, it, it becomes a thing. Anyway, that's how I like to say. I give that analogy to say that the Knicks have been overcompensating and overcompensating for the last 20 years. And it's been unfortunate. I mean, they had a decent run of success when you had J.R. Smith and, and Carmelo when, Ron, when Mike Woodson was the coach. Mm-hmm. Then what, they made it to like the second round of the playoffs and you know made a little bit of noise. They could have and should have built upon that, and instead they didn't. Let, let Woodson go, who I think was a really good coach, who, by the way, should be a head coach in this league. And the fact that he hadn't gotten an opportunity is, well, that's a whole other issue. Um, but yeah, I mean, the next are messed up. I don't think that Phil Jackson is a good GM. I think he's a great coach. Not so much GM. I think he still wants to run a system that, you know, to today's basketball is different. I mean, it, it changes because, I mean, there was a point when the triangle was futuristic. Right. right. It was mind-blowing 30 years ago. And But the thing about it is, even though it was mind-blowing, Phil Jackson was never a great teacher because none of the guys who went out after him, who were underneath him, Jim Clemens and some of the other young guys that were on the staff, they could never recreate it with anybody else. So I don't know if it's a – it's got to be just a Phil Jackson thing because then he took mm-hmm. it to the Lakers and then they kind of worked it out and got it going too. So – but I don't know, you know. Well, I mean, but, but that's part of it too. It's like, you know, Phil Jackson will – I mean, because my thing is, you know, I've never seen a situation where GM – puts in the system generally it's the coach who puts in the system right right so the fact that the gm is trying to put in a system that he's not going to coach he's like well phil you coach it yeah Yeah, you coach the team then but he can't because you know he has the health issues and he can't do all that travel and you know you remember that those last couple years of lakers he had that big you know the thick cushion seat because he couldn't he couldn't do it anymore he couldn't handle it so I don't know what he does and I don't know how it works with the Knicks. I mean it's sad because like I said I mean you know, they are, you know, one of the, I guess you would say, crown jewel franchises of the NBA. You look at the Boston Celtics, the Philadelphia 76ers, the L.A. Lakers, right? And the Knicks as, you know, those big-time major franchises that are, you know, all in the big TV markets, all the places that matter. Mm-hmm. And to see the Knicks not be good is, you know, very disappointing for the league. I'm sure the league would like the Knicks to be, you know, at least competitive. And I don't know how they get there because – I don't know what happens with Camilla Anthony because, I mean, and now combine it with what seems to be an impending divorce. And I, I don't want to get into all the other stuff because um, we don't need to. It's fine. Yeah, I, yeah. I, there's, there's other people on the Internet who who cover that stuff. But, I mean, that, that could affect and impact the decision. Or maybe, you know, I've had people say, well, maybe he wants to go to. Let's say OKC, for instance, and she's like, I ain't going to OKC. And that could be the reason why some of this is happening. But, again, there's a, there's a lot of layers here. And 
I do wonder what happens because even now in today's modern basketball, is Carmelo the best type of player for the type of system? Like, where does he work? Like, like where does he go? Do you does he? Because a lot of people talk about him going to the Clippers, right? So does he go to the Clippers and play with Blake Griffin and Paul and DeAndre Jordan? I mean, you know, common sense would say maybe he goes and plays at LeBron, but Kevin Love does what he does, and he's younger and. Kevin Love actually plays defense. Well, better defense, I'll say. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know where Camelo goes. He should still play. He should go to an out-of-the-way team that needs a quote-unquote superstar, like the Hornets or you know a kind of team like that that's got some good players, but they need that one player to legitimize oh. everybody else around But him. isn't he that one player? That's- even if even, even if it's even if his skills are diminished, if he can understand that and just be the name Carmelo Anthony on the Hornets, that right there will be a man. Carmelo Anthony, no, I don't know, Charlotte, no. man. Uh, but I do have picking out. I, I know what you're saying. Top of my head, that 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 his skill set and his game right now would fit into because they kind of need that one person who can get them over the top. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Like I said, yeah. we'll see. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up staying in New York and just pissing everybody oh. off and pissing himself off in them because I mean they're not going to be good and and these things get messy man because I mean the Knicks got to pay them and one thing about NBA guys will get their money no matter what mm-hmm. so I do have a I, the only Carmelo story I have is when I was visit, visiting a few years ago now me and my friends decided to go to Sylvia's and tell me why I turn around and see like Fat Joe Carmelo Anthony and their whole entire entourage so I think he just really likes being living in New York so not, oh, not no, the professional I mean, side but I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, look, I mean, he's, he's a city boy, man. I mean, you know, he likes. And, you know, I mean, for most people, we pick our careers or where we work in part for the quality of life of the place we live, right? I mean, you know, it was the thing when LeBron left Cleveland and went to Miami. I mean, if you have a choice, and look, I lived in Cleveland. I like that city. I'm not banging on the city of Cleveland. But if you have a choice, I think most people, if they had a choice and they could live the life they because Cleveland's cheaper, it costs living wise. But if you, let's say, if you live in Cleveland and you make sixty-five thousand dollars a year, you can live pretty decently off sixty-five thousand dollars a year in Cleveland. You're probably going to need eighty-five or ninety to live that same lifestyle in Miami. So if you're, let's say, you get a job offer and it pays you to where you can live the same life in Miami that you're going to live in Cleveland, I think most Easy people are going to live in Miami. Easy decision. Well, personally, but. that's what I'm saying. Most people are going to live in Miami. That's just what that is. Yeah. And for most people, that's what we do. And but yet, with athletes, we kind of get mad at them because we're just like, we well, should be happy to play in the NBA. It doesn't matter if the NBA is in Buck Tussle, Mississippi, or Los Angeles, California. But you know, when you're at Camelo's point, I think he's a Hall of Famer, first ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, he has won two Olympics. I think he would like to win an NBA title, but I also think he likes to live where he wants to live. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and, that, and yeah, and now with what seems to be an impending divorce, because I mean, I think we all know that she was a driving factor in where he lived and played too. I mean, mm-hmm. but again, I think that's what most married people are, right? Like, you know, you can't just say I'm going to take a job in Dubai, and you have a wife who works in Topeka, Kansas. That's not how life works. <laughs> I think that for Carmelo, in any sense, though, uh, I think that he did so much to get to New York when he didn't have to. You know, he basically forced them to trade for him when he could have just played the season out and got there as a free agent. 
And it seemed to have kind of set the Knicks back because they had to get rid of the guys that kind of they needed in Wilson Chandler and some of the shooters that would work well around Carmelo. And now it seems like he did all that and he's like, I'm here now and I'm not going nowhere. I got this no trade clause in here because I want to retire here. And I don't and Phil Jackson's definitely not playing it right. I think it's definitely gonna be a Phil before Carmelo thing if it if it stand off. I think that's what we'll be looking at. Phil Jackson will pack up his sage and roll back to Montana <laughs> before uh, Carmelo gives in on that no trade, I think. so. But we're going to move into our final topic as the NFL draft is this coming Thursday. First round is going to be in, um, is it Chicago this year? Is there no, Philadelphia. Philadelphia. I, was, I thought it was Philly, but I wasn't sure. I, I yeah, last year was in Chicago. Okay, they're moving the draft around as they're kind of letting say stuff, it, I guess. Um, <laughs> Philadelphia, this should be pretty fun. Roger Goodell, I hope you're not sensitive. Yeah, um, you can't be at this point. The Cleveland Browns have the number one pick, of course, um, in this year's draft. Um, it looks like that the consensus is they should pick Miles Garrett, defensive end from Texas A&M. Um, they've been flirting, at least the Browns have, in the press with kind of saying that they're getting higher and higher on Mitch Trubisky, quarterback from UNC, and that he may their eye on him as the first pick. But I think that just may be kind of some, you know, gamesmanship. Uh, so, Jesse, I want to pose this to you. What should the Cleveland Browns do? Um, this is a draft where they've got a lot of picks. They've got two first-round picks and the top 15. Um, this could be a draft that maybe is a building block to them turning it around for long-term success. Um, I know they shouldn't be doing what they keep doing, which is, um, you know, it's like, oh, quarterback, let's get him. Because as we've seen from the last, what, 10, 15 years, they're not – great at developing quarterbacks or they think oh we have this rookie quarterback so high in the draft we have to play immediately and that hasn't helped anyone so maybe I, I maybe they should look at you know miles garrett and start building the pieces around like you know a better offense and defense maybe start there before they're like oh i just i just know they shouldn't be doing what they're doing or they have been doing because it hasn't worked and i'm just so tired of seeing them draft another quarterback or seeing you know I'm so tired of seeing a draft another quarterback. I don't know how this is going to go, and it all goes to pieces. And then the Browns are in the same position with Moneyball picks. With like, but they have like, how many picks in the draft? Twelve? I know yeah. they have a lot. They got a lot. Yeah, and then just not doing anything of note with them because they're, you know, the fan base and the front office get skittish, and they're like, you know, release him. We got to get rid of him, and it's the end ever and never ending cycle of just putting themselves back into mediocrity because they don't, you know, give time for their players to develop. I don't think anybody would say that their issue has necessarily been on defense. They've actually been pretty no, not, yeah, they've been pretty good off and on defense. It's just yeah. their offense is so. I mean, adding the... yeah, adding Miles Garrett would, would actually you know make their defense pretty pretty formidable if he can you know the only thing about rookies that I, I really get scared of is can they make it through the OTAs and the training camp? It seems like we get so many of these defensive ends, Vic Beasley and guys get injured before they can get to the field in a real game. Um, but if he can make it to the field in these real games, I, I don't think their defense is going to be a problem. I think the reason they went after Hugh Jackson was because of his track record with Andy Dalton and developing quarterbacks uh, and being an offensive mind because they, they realized that we got to get to 28 points a game somehow to give our defense a chance. So, Nabias, um, you know, with your ties to Cleveland and kind of following, you know, what the Browns have been doing on and off with, with their time up there, what do you think they should do in this draft? Pray. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe not, but seriously, like I, if it, it's so hard to pick, right? Because you have the one pick, that pick is supposed to be somebody who has Hall of Fame 
caliber potential. I think that is Garrett. So I think that's who they should pick, the, the big guy out of Texas A&M. I'm not concerned about him. You know, people were kind of upset. Like you, you blew off an interview on one of the ESPN shows. I guess him and one of the um, – Cat who played at LSU, they had like a – I guess some issues and Garrett Miles decided not to do the interview with Brian him. Clark or Booger McFarlane? McFarlane, yeah, McFarlane, okay. not Clark. Yeah, McFarlane. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, the four-letter network has so many personalities now, it's kind of hard to fit <laughs> through everybody, which might be why they're – well, anyway, yeah, I won't go there. Um, <laughs> uh, let's not go there. But anyway, um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't really care about that. It doesn't matter to me. Because, I mean, you know, look, I, I think sometimes – it's funny, right, because McFarlane was a former player who – former was a player who didn't exactly like doing media, and now he's the media, and he has a problem calling people out. You know, I'm pretty sure he's – you know, turn down an interview or two. So I ain't got no problem with, with Miles not interviewing with him. That being said, I think the guy can play. I think he'll be fine. And hopefully, you know, the Browns continue to build. Like I said, I think that city deserves more than what that franchise is giving. Them. So um, it's so hard to say. And, you know, everybody comes, they make these definitive declarative statements. And we don't know. Like, this is why I also hate the NFL schedule game. Because it's like we sit here and we go through the schedule and pick out wins and losses. And, and I always pretend my team's gonna be ten and six, even though they're not about to be. Right. I mean, but I'm saying like we just don't know because we don't know how good teams are gonna be. We don't know who they're gonna draft. We don't know who's gonna be healthy. We haven't had any OTAs yet. We make all. Don't even these... know who's gonna be on the team. Exactly. Don't even know. Just, just so much we don't know. We don't know who's gonna be. I mean, for all we know, you know, Tom Brady could walk out tomorrow and step off the curb and break his ankle. I mean, that could happen. You know, like there's just so many things that could happen before the season starts. So. Let's just, you know, let the beat build and wait. But that being said, I, I, from everybody who I've talked to, the kid is consensus number one for a reason. And I think that's who the Browns should take and just hope that it works out. All right. Now, I'm going to shift this over from a, a personal thing for me and Jesse at Nabias. I don't know since you're, you know, covering teams and things if you want to get into this conversation. But, Jesse, um, who do you think your team should pick or positions that they should draft this year? What do you think your, the Baltimore Ravens need to do in this year's draft? Um, for me, just based on last season, bolstering at the wide receiver position um, would be very helpful because, you know, Steve Smith retired and we have a bunch of guys. Um, I think Mike Wallace is on the team. Uh, what's his face? Rashad Perryman. Eh. It's, just, it's looking real thin at wide receiver. It's looking thin in a lot of places. And uh, we are not in a position to sign a lot of free agents. So, of course, we have to build to the draft. I don't know what I was going to do. I never try to predict that. But I know what I have what I think we should do. And then they have a whole different plan. And I'm just going to ride with this because I, yeah, I, I'm tired. I, not like I'm tired, but like, I, I, you know, I, things never happen the way I see them happening. So, right. like I said, wide receiver would be great. Mm, safeties would be nice too. Yeah, those two. Uh, looks like this is going to be the draft for both of those uh, positions. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. It'd be great because, I mean, I haven't, I don't really, I'm, as long as we do well in those two positions, I'm fine. I don't really need a, I don't need a name, I don't need a marquee, I just need wide receivers and safeties and defensive backs. <laughs> and I'm kind of in the same boat with you um, as a Redskins fan. We need as much defense as possible if our picks should be on defense. The only person that's got me really intrigued, though, is um, at 17, is kind of going after McCaffrey because he can do so many things. He could be our, our, our running back for us, he could be a punt returner for us, he could be a, a slot receiver uh, since we're coming off losing our two outside receivers, uh, you know, it's just a, another guy who can do a lot of things. That would be the only person that's really intriguing me that I would accept them taking as an offensive player. Um, 
I know that we need a pass rusher, uh, legit defensive end that can put down on the ground to get to the quarterback would be awesome, or another guy to come from the outside to help um, Kerrigan. But Ruben Foster, though, just his nastiness and his ability is also starting to kind of – I'm starting to kind of get with that too. I, I think that if the Redskins could somehow add him to their defense, even though it's not really a position that we kind of need to upgrade first, I think it would add a lot to just the middle of the defense and, and get them stronger up the middle. So, And I'm like you, safeties, cornerbacks, and guys who can set the quarterback, that's what I want them to do. But if they get McCaffrey with their first pick, then I'd, I'd be happy with that too. So, Nevis, I'm going to poise this to you as talking about McCaffrey. Um, the running backs, it looks like this may be, you know, this has been the draft everybody's been looking towards as the resurgence of the running back. We had, you know, Zeke Elliott coming out of nowhere last year. Um, lead the league in rushing, you know, set the league on fire, get the Cowboys back to prom- prominence uh, through mainly his rushing attack. Um, who do you think goes first between, uh, you know, the, the top running backs we've got? And then, uh, you know, Joe Mixon as well, throw him in the mix because he seems to be overcoming his off the field issues and everybody seems to be getting back on board with him too. Okay. So I'll st- how about I just start from the back on that? I mean, Joe Mixon going to get drafted. He's going to play in this league. I think he's going to have a, like, he's going to have a very long career. He may end up being the best running back in his draft. There's going to be issues with it, and this is where it gets tough, right? Because mm-hmm. Joe Mixon did hit that girl. Mm-hmm. We all saw it on yeah, video. I mean, anywhere around it, he hit that girl. You know, um, and that was a very bad thing to do. And that's just it. It's full stop. I still think he should have an NFL career, and he's going to because he can play. And that's not me moralizing it. It's just more. Look, man. So you're going to tell me because somebody does something at 18, that means they should never be able to have a career. Like what good does that do for society? Does society no good if Joe Mixon isn't? I mean, so what's he supposed to do to make a living? You know what I'm saying? I mean, clearly he's been born to a football because if he doesn't make it in the league, who else is going to hire him? I mean, you know, nobody else is going to hire him because they're going to use the same thing to not hire him. And I think he, I think that he has earned through his play an opportunity to play in the NFL. That's just what I think. I think he will get drafted, and he should because he's good. Um, as far as, I guess, the guys – it won't be in the first round. I'll be shot he in the first round. But he will get drafted, and I think he will have a very good NFL career because he can do all the things. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He can block. He can run. I mean, he can do it all. He, guy can play. He's a good player. And also, too, man, it's very much a shame. And I, 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 We haven't done as many shows. I know I haven't been on as many, but – I was really disappointed in how Bob Stoops threw that kid under the bus after the video came out. Like, it took a video, right? Like, everybody knew he hit a girl because, I mean, we know. Like, it was in the news. It was open records. You know what I'm saying? Everybody knew what he did. And I'm not justifying what he did because it was a terrible thing. It was a horrible thing that he did. But to sit here and say, well, he shouldn't be able to play football ever again because of that, I just don't think that's how our justice system works. And it goes back to, you know, regardless of what we think about the sentencing, he paid for his crime. Now, you could say, well, because he played football. But you gotta remember, he got suspended for a year from Ohio, from Oklahoma. Yeah, anything what? negative could have happened to him without right. the structure of the football. I, I don't think a lot of people really understand that. You know, these guys are structured within the football, even though they may do some things and act out recklessly. The football does provide them. Yeah, I mean, well, it is very dangerous when these players do get suspended and, and kind of don't have that, you know, structure. Like, well, I mean, but the, I mean, there's that. And then the fact of, you know, look, this is how he makes his living. 
Right. I make my living through writing words. You make your living the way you make your living. Jesse makes your living the way she makes her look like. It's what he makes his living. And again, he did a terrible thing. But I also don't feel he should spend the rest of his life paying for it just because it was on video. Right. So mm-hmm. moving to uh, Dalvin Cook, Leonard Fournette, McCaffrey. Who do you think is the you know top dog out of those three? Oh, geez. Um, I don't know. And I, 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 like I said, I know we do this sports talk thing. And I know we're supposed to have all these answers, but I don't know. I mean, because I think all three of them do very different things. I mean, I think – I don't know if Christian McCaffrey is a three-down back. I think Leonard Fournette probably is. And I'm not sure if Dalvin Cook in the NFL is a three-down back. So, out of – just out of that, I would say Fournette. But Fournette also has that big body, which means he's going to take a lot more punishment spread out. So, it could go it could go either way. I think each one of these kids is a first-round caliber player. I don't know if they'll go that high, but I think they are. And I think that Cook goes first, then Fournette, then McCaffrey. How I think it should go is probably Fournette, McCaffrey, then Cook. That's how I think it should go. And if it were all things equal, maybe Mixon goes before any of them. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, that's probably that's probably going to be the big story of the draft is those three running backs since Miles Garrett has already declared that he's not going to attend the draft. So that's going to be kind of awkward. If he is the number one pick, there's going to be nobody for Dale to have a handshake with. Man, sorry. And there'll be other guys from shape, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, 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 no, right. Nobody's going to – I mean, you know, I, I'm kind of – I kind of wish that – I mean, the draft – I mean, it's a TV show now, right? It I mean, is. I mean, I, I don't know if either one of you ever, like, watched some of the old drafts when they had, like, the football helmet phone and – you know, it was like in a smoky room somewhere. You know, I mean, the NFL has done a really good job of making everything for TV. So, and over three days too. Like my gosh. Yeah, it's too much, man. Let's pick the day. Man. man. I mean, get it over with, man. Pick who you're gonna pick and leave me alone. Right, right. Get it over. And we watched it. So. Yeah. Any other closing thoughts on the draft? Uh, any players that you know you watched in college that maybe you like to see? Any interesting. I just hope the Philadelphia fans aren't throwing batteries at people. That's what I hope for. (laughs) Yeah, I think the Philadelphia crowd is definitely going to be the highlight of the whole process, just kind of seeing how they act and how boorish they get uh, to, especially the NFC East teams when they pick, uh, whoever they pick. I'm pretty sure that's going to be some pretty fun, um, pretty fun exchanges. And then in the second round, when they have the light legends come up and pick, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's going to be entertaining as well. Mind the batteries, hopefully. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all it right. should be on the act right but you know who knows alright at this point Jesse uh, any final thoughts that you'd like to uh, one final thought I had the beer is still cold in Baltimore um, the older now 12 and 4 um, I don't like getting my hopes up you know because everybody that I support loves letting me down but the beer is still cold <laughs> yeah the uh, the pitching the starting pitching has a uh, definitely um, improved in the offseason. They're going deeper in the games, and they're not taxing the bullpen as much, and that's going to be real key if uh, Zach Britton's going to have to miss more time than just uh, 15 days on the disabled list. So, yeah, I hope they can keep it up. I'm a big Orioles fan myself, so good to see them um, out front in the AL East, but Boston's on their heels, so they're going to have to, you know, keep playing hard. Nabias, your final thought? Hey, man, I mean, geez, where do I start? Um, as we'll keep it simple, right? Um, I think we're in an age where the landscape we live in is constantly changing, constantly evolving. You know, I kind of lightly mentioned what was happening at, you know, ESPN. And unfortunately, as reports say, you know, there are going to be a lot of about 40 employees who are going to be let go in the next month. And there's a lot of uncertainty out there in Bristol. And 
you know, I've done work up there and I still do some stuff for those guys. And, you know, it's just a shame as to what's happening. That being said, man, you know, look, man, I think as consumers, we're going to have some control over this. Pay for your media, pay for stuff, support your local broadcasters, support your local podcasters, support people who are giving you content. Everything ain't free. It costs money to do this stuff, man. So, you know, support people and maybe we won't look up and have people losing their jobs. You know, that's all I got to say. All right. That's a very good message. Definitely support uh, your commitment. Uh, my final thought would basically be um, I love the playoffs, man. Um, NFL is still my favorite sport. I, I get geared up to see it and it goes by so fast. And I hate it when it's gone. But nothing gives me more enjoyment of just watching these playoff games night after night after night. And um, I learned my lesson back in 1997 during the flu game. No matter how dire it looks, never turn the game off because you'll wake up and something spectacular might happen like LeBron James and a bunch of bench players coming back from 26 points down in the second half to beat the Pacers. So, you know, just NBA as a whole is my favorite probably playoff. So, I mean, just for night after night after night, you can't beat it. So, again, for my co-host, that's so Jesse and Nevis Wilborn. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and this has been Know the School. Bye.